Welcome to the Pro Player Podcast. Super excited about this episode today. We have Dan Abraham, sports psychologist, who will be familiar to thousands and thousands of people out there in social media world. Dan, famous for sharing content and supporting coaches all around the world, held a number of high-profile roles, uh, mainly in soccer. I'm going to introduce Dan. Uh, great to have you on the podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank you for um, the invite, David. Really, um, really delighted to be speaking with you. Absolutely fantastic. Dan, I th you're a man who needs no introduction. Um, you've probably helped hundreds of thousands of coaches that you'll never even meet. Um, they won't even know content that you share and the way that you go about you know, helping people to be better, especially on social media, I think is a phenomenon. So if nobody else has ever told you, I want to I go and say thank you for that. Um, I'd love you to introduce yourself, sir, and we can take this wherever you would like to. Well, thank you for that. Um, so, uh, Dan Abrahams, I'm a sports psychologist, as you've mentioned, David. Um, I have 20, oh, this is my 28th year in a high performance sport. Uh, initially started as a, a professional golfer. I wasn't a, a, a soccer player. I uh, failed miserably as a, as a pro golfer, didn't win any money, uh, largely because of what was going on between my two ears and probably a slight lack of talent didn't help as well. But I was always interested in the mental side of, of golf, uh, which when I started to coach golf, I finished playing and uh, started to, uh, I, I, I completed my PGA qualification, started to, to coach the game and I think that deepened my interest and love for the psychological side of golf and ultimately sport in general. Um, and I decided to head to university as I was coaching golf, completed all my qualifications to become a sports psychologist, left golf coaching behind about 18 years ago. And uh, for the last 18 years, I've been a sports psychologist working across all sports. Um, I uh, obviously, no golf like the back of my hand. So I've always done a lot of work in golf. I was lead psychologist for England golf for for three years, um, a decade ago. Um, I've been lead psychologist for England rugby as well. I'm currently a consultant psychologist to Aston Martin Formula One um, and work across all sports. Coming back to, to football, soccer, um, yeah, started off in non-league to really learn the language of the game and learn the specific challenges that players face. That was really important for me to do that. And it's really just been a snowball effect from there. Um, I've I've worked probably in about half a dozen or so Premier League championship clubs here in England, but I've worked globally. Um, I've written uh, four books, three of them football soccer one of which soccer tough very kindly gareth bale a couple of years ago said changed his life as i always say i'm not too sure it changed his life but it was very nice of him to say so hopefully he he read it at the beginning of his career and um not um not just as he was retiring and it changed his life because he decided to retire based on reading it um uh, i've worked uh yeah, I've worked in, in, in football soccer globally and I work heavily in, in America, as you've mentioned there. Um, I, I'd like to think that um, I've had a positive impact on the community, the soccer community in America. I always come over every year to the United Soccer Coaches Convention, my online academy supports another a number of clubs and high schools and college programs. Um, you've been a part of a college program yeah. that... Um, uh, that uh, took on my online academy. So, you know, my passion is to demystify sports psychology for players, coaches, and parents. Um, that's really important to me. I also have my own podcast called The Sports Psych Show, um, which is which is great fun. 
Um, and I think that pretty much brings us up to speed. I think the final thing to say is in, in terms of what I'm doing at the moment in football, uh, as I say, I work globally, but I, I, I'm currently working with Feyenoord. Um, I have done for last season and this season. Last season, we won the Dutch Eredivisie title, um, which was fantastic to be involved in. They're currently playing Champions League. Um, as we were recording, they've got Atletico Madrid this week. See how they go. So, so yeah, I think that's a that's a bit of a, a, a potted uh, potted biography for you there. Dan, an unbelievable wealth of experience and insight. And and when I first started this, I hoped we would get somebody like you to come on. And I have to thank you as well for your patience because we had a few issues first time we tried to do this on my end. So again, test testament to your character for, for for continuing to do this thank you but I, I so much to get through there so much to speak of any one of those roles we could do an hour on but I think one of the most interesting things I don't think people are speaking about enough is you mentioned the golfing background there and you, you you're obviously as a golfer it's just you isn't it it's just you you might be getting some advice from your caddy or your coach or whatever it might be but in essence mm-hmm. it's you swinging the club and it's you putting the ball in the hole right mm-hmm. Your, some of the work I've read and watched and listened to of you in recent times talks about this empathy. There's two questions I wrote down mm. that you posted. and One was, how about self-compassion around your own mediocrity and striving for excellence? Mm-hmm. And the other was, how about em- em- empathizing with mediocrity while we strive to facilitate the search for excellence? I don't think this is a topic being talked about enough, and you are clearly an expert on this. What is it that you can tell aspiring coaches, you know, the young Dan Abrams, the people out there who want to do what you've done, what can you tell them about empathising with themselves as they strive to become elite? Mm. Yeah, it's, it's it's a really good question. I think I, I, I remember the LinkedIn post and Facebook post mm. that I wrote uh, with relevance to your question. Look, I, I think we've been very heavily socialized in sport into narratives such as you know at the extreme end gotta win gotta win gotta win gotta perform gotta perform gotta perform um and obviously there's a there's a range of reasons why people participate from the participant participative level you know which is you know kids playing right away through to adults playing for the fun of it and that's okay i think we need to give space for that um right way through to the adult elite level which is the professional level but at, at, at every level i think it's really important that um players if i address the playing side and and the coach coach coaching side um, as well here players give themselves the room to accept that you know, there will be, if they take their sport seriously, there will be tough moments. There will be tough times. Mistakes will happen. Um, and the, the fact that as human beings, we are extraordinarily complex. Um, uh, you know, we work on uh, a behavioral level, a thought level, a level of emotion and a level of feeling. Uh, and if we consider thoughts, emotions, feelings, we can't fully control thoughts, emotions, feelings. They tend to happen to us. Our, ten, uh, our attention uh, concentration tends to float around all over the place a lot of the time, again, uh, without ne- it necessarily being our fault. So I think we have to uh, um, be compassionate with ourselves on that side of things. Um, I think that the landscape can tend to be far too tough. Uh, we can be far too tough on ourselves, especially when it comes to performance. Um, and so I live in a world 
where I want to help and I want to help coaches to help players and I want players to help themselves to have very simple mental frameworks that enable them to become slightly better at managing their thoughts, emotions, and feelings that help them manage the constant shifting of their attention. I think if if players have very simple mental frameworks to help manage thoughts, emotions, feelings, um, then... um, that enables them to that's being compassionate on themselves that that Mm. is upskilling them to uh, be able to take charge of themselves take control of themselves a little bit better um whilst also understanding that you know thoughts emotions feelings will you know good ones will come and go bad ones will come and go average ones will come and go and that's okay but we do need to help players have simple mental frameworks that help them take charge of themselves a little bit more so i always say we tend to be too tough on performance too tolerant on mindset and i try to reverse that i want players to be more tolerant on their performance that doesn't mean we give up the search for excellent performance, but it does mean that as human beings, someday six out of 10 is a really good performance. It's the best that we're going to do. Um, and I want, I, want, I want players to be tough on themselves mentally, um, but the only way you help them be tough on themselves mentally is to help them have these simple mental frameworks. That's really, really important. Um, so, yeah, that that that's that's the kind of lens that I see uh, the game through. It's absolutely fascinating, and I think there's a lot of. I, I look back at times in my career where I've worked with elite athletes, and mm. they weren't. You know, I think sometimes people think that you're a, you know, six out of ten when you're a kid, and seven out of ten when you're a teenager, and then you become a ten out of ten every week. It couldn't be further from the truth, could it? It's a fallacy to think mm. that professional players are going to be perfect every time and we seem to react so quickly to mistakes we seem to react so quickly because of pressure even in elite sport to things that happen and you're quite right I've seen players win games and be a six out of ten I've seen them be awful and score goals in front of 50,000 people and when you talk to them after you know we have this romantic notion of oh well, they did nothing all day but they scored that one goal but we, we seem to we seem to sympathize with for a striker in that example but not with anyone else ever <laughs> it's 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 funny. I don't really understand. Maybe you can shed some light on on why we think that, and especially then why we do that to young people and adolescents. Um, I I I think that we. I think there's several things to say. I, I let, let let's think about this from a coach's perspective. Um, I think coaches need to be uh, as dynamic as they can be with their language and their lens of the game from a performance perspective. I think that the language around, uh, if we're talking about the elite level, uh, which would be, you know, young adults, adults, um, I think that, uh, and the developing elite level, which might be uh, teenagers, late uh, teens in their late teenage years, young people in their late teenage years, um, I think the narrow language tends to be around, and I'm going to slightly repeat myself here. It's got to perform, got to perform, got to perform, got to have your best game, and it, and it's all about that. It's all about you know excellence is seen as having this outstanding performance all the time. There's nothing wrong with striving for that, but I I try to work with coaches to help them broaden the the messaging and the communication uh, around performance to 
Can we strive to have our best game and our best possible game? Can we help players understand that it's going to be sometimes that they go onto the pitch, they walk out onto the pitch and they're not going to be at their best because we've got nearly 400 bones in our body. We've got uh, an array of hormones floating around our body that's going to influence how we feel at any given time. We've got a number of things on the pitch that are out of our control. Um, teammates, the performances of our teammates, the performance of the opposition, um, um, and so on and so forth. So um, there's 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 things within us that are going to influence us that we can't completely control. And we, there's definitely things that are external to us that we certainly can't control. So that means it's quite a complicated landscape. And so we've got to have a language and a lens of the game that's much more aligned with, okay, and and I think everybody listening in, if you can think about your players here, can how can I help my players have strive to have their best performance and their best possible performance? So if they're not having their best performance, a nine out of ten game, whatever that looks like, think about your striker having a nine out of ten game. So that striker is constantly moving, constantly trying to get in between the defenders or or or, or beyond the defenders. It's probably linking up with the midfield pretty well. Um, it's constantly on the move, getting shots away or putting themselves in the position to get shots away and so on and so forth. All the stuff that you've forgotten more about than I'll ever know. But um, if we can think about that nine out of 10 game, but then we think about the internal of that striker which the thoughts, the emotions and feelings that are influencing, you know, all the things, the external that we see. We think about the teammates that that striker is playing alongside, maybe midfielders, wingers who aren't necessarily having their best game, or maybe defenders they're up against who are having an absolutely blinding game because mm -hmm. that sometimes happens. So that's where I think pre-match game, games, messaging, sorry, needs to be much more aligned with okay, if you're not going to be nine out of 10, what have you got to do to have your best possible game? Mm. You know, worst way, can we have a six out of 10 game? Mm. And so then it's starting to explore, well, what have you got to do to have a six out of 10 game uh, rather than a four or five out of 10 game, a poor or a very poor game? Let's just at least have an average game. What do you got to do? How have you got to talk to yourself? What's your body language got to be like? What little attentional cues have you got to have? Um, how are you... How, what are your responses and reactions going to be? What what great cue phrases can your triggers, can you tell yourself at any given moment in order to manage uh, tough, tough moments during the game? It's, it's that kind of broader um, approach that I think is really, really important. Um, and I think that's an empathic viewpoint. It's a compassionate viewpoint, but it's also a sophisticated viewpoint of competing. It's not just saying, well, I just hope, you know, you've got to go out there and have this amazing nine out of 10 game. Of course that can help. And that can be an important message. Um, but it's also saying when it's not quite going right, how are you going to have a six out of 10 game? How are you going to bring at least something where, as you say, six out of 10 game, that striker might pop up, bang, goal, and that might be the deciding moment. So um, it's, can our players stay in the game for 95 minutes to the best of their ability? Can they have their best possible game no matter what? It's brilliant. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that the discourse around this in 2023 is different to what it was even in 2000. Right? We've come so far 
I think in the last two decades, especially the last decade, you know, it used to be about, well, you know, you have a sports psychologist in and we've done, we've, this has been done, you know, the weakness of using a sports psychologist or working on your mental game. That's, that's old. The new discourse now is welcoming of this empathetic approach. Players got on it first because ultimately it's them in front of the camera and they have to perform, right? Mm-hmm. Coaches are beginning to get onto it now. And you do your examples of, the, the, you know, the people you're working with and Premier League managers who have people with them now who support them in, in managing their emotions. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad the discourse is different now to what it was. But the point you've made there is so, so genius that it's not just about empathy and the soft side that people sometimes turn their nose at. It is also sophisticated. It also the best way to actually produce a performance under the circumstances. I think that's the part that's being missed. I don't think enough coaches out there think of it that way. They tend to think of it as a weakness or still, or or this is a, I'm not really comfortable with this, so I'm, I'm just going to demand more. One of the things you said, which I thought was absolutely genius, was this player doesn't need a louder voice next to him or her necessarily. This player needs skills, mental skills, aptitudes that help to deal with the inner sensations that disconnect them. Dan, that's absolute genius. How do we get this message out to everybody in the world? Why isn't everybody thinking like this? I don't know if it's genius, but I, I, I think sometimes it's common sense. Look, I just think it's taking a slightly different lens. I, I mean, again, we, I suppose we're speaking to competition here, and it's understanding that uh, competition requires competencies and skills, um, whether they're competencies and skills related to the technical, tactical, physical, or mental side, or all of all of those thrown into the, you know, the, into the mix. Um, because in many respects, they're inextricably linked. Um, I think you help somebody become a better competitor by helping them up, helping them upskill around the technical, tactical and, and, and physical side. You know, you've got to remember if you can help somebody technically, if you can help somebody um, understand the game a little bit better, the logic of the game, if we're talking tactics here, if you can help them memorize your game model a little bit better, if you can help them work on the physical side of the game a little bit more effectively, you're still helping them mentally. So it's understanding, I think, first and foremost, that the mental side, the psychological or the psychosocial side of things is happening nonstop. It's it's constantly present. It's there every single second of uh, every single activity, every single day. You know, it really, really is. It's every single second of the game. So mindset is always happening. So then it's about asking yourself as a coach, okay, well, how can I shape my players' mindsets? And and that sophisticated approach is recognizing that, you know, just being one dimensional around things, well, we just got to win or we just got to perform uh, amazingly well or, um, you know, you, you're the person who has to bring your attitude, effort and energy to, to training. That is a lot of truth. Well, uh, excuse me. There's a degree of truth to that, in as much as you know. Um, of course, you want players to 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 bring attitude, effort, and energy. Uh, you know, of course, you want players who are eager, who are hungry, who are motivated, who are committed to playing their best game. But as I'm saying, I think the sophisticated approach from a coach is recognizing that as a coach, you're constantly influencing player psychology. Um, through your environment, through your coaching practice, uh, through your coaching messages, through your own coach behaviors, through your session design. 
um, by the questions that you ask them, by the way that you use water breaks to maybe reinforce your messages, how you begin, how you end your coaching sessions, you know, maybe the messages you put out on WhatsApp by asking players to remember themselves at their best or think about their dream games or things like that. So I just think it's, re- it's, it's number one for a coach to recognize that first and foremost, you're, you're a, a psychosocial coach that that's the psychosocial sides of the game psychological and social sides of the game are not just a um a, a corner or something to put to the to, to, to the edge of things it's recognizing that it's constantly happening and that you on the training ground are in a great position to constantly deliver through your session designs through your coach behaviors on the psychosocial sides of things so and it's it's recognizing just having like many many techniques and and many ways of going about things that tries to up skill player competencies around this area i think that that's that those are the most important messages i used to think that it was about you know speaking to the heart of those coaches out there that are doing this and, and are not doing this sophisticately and are not and are you know shouting and screaming or whatever they might be doing right whether it's youth level development level or even pro level i mean we've been through it here in the states in the hmm. professional women's league here in the last few years right so mm-hmm. i think I think now it's more about, you know, getting this message across to people who are choosing. So do we get it across to the players? Because they can now look at the coach and say, well, what is going on here? What support am I going to get? Or even even helping parents understand, you know, if I'm going to go into this environment or my daughter is going to go into this environment, you know, what what can I expect? Um, and I think what, you, what you're doing here is laying it out for people so they can know what to expect to see. Because I don't know, Dan, that everybody always knows what good looks like if if the team is winning let's take a any any you know let's whatever level it is let's take a team who's won they've got a 20 and 0 winning record immediately you would think well they're doing great everything there is fantastic and if you play for them you're going to be absolutely brilliant you have a wonderful experience that's not necessarily the case often it's not the case what you're doing a great job of here i think is laying out what you should look for when you don't know what good looks like mm. would you agree yeah, I would. I mean, I, I I do think so. I think sometimes results can disguise some maladaptive practices and processes. Um, ultimately, um, I'm a believer that um, if you're a coach that's that's passionate about helping players engage, helping them learn, helping them perform, then um, yeah. Uh, then you need to be a coach who is a student of the game and a student of your coaching and a student of coaching science and skill acquisition and, and sports science and and um, sports psychology uh, in order to put the best, most adaptive processes in place. There's nothing wrong with being coach-led um, alongside being potentially player-centered and occasionally player-led. I mean, if you look at a basic... A continuum from from player led through to coach led with player centered in the middle there's nothing wrong with going up and down that continuum i'm not necessarily somebody who bangs a drum saying everything has to be player led um but it, it, it is about recognizing that as a coach you want to ideally in my opinion you want to help players be participants you know, if we think about parents, if I was a coach of a, a team or I was a coach at a club, I'd be saying the messages I'd be trying to give out to parents, I'd be trying to break down exactly what they're going to see on the sidelines. Um, and they'd be seeing uh, a, a, an attempt to help 
um, to help players be participants rather than recipients, that I want players involved, that they're going to see a lot of psychosocial practices within my coaching designs. Um, they'll, they'll be seeing leadership practices, teamwork. They'll be seeing uh, attempts to develop relationship. They'll be seeing um, um, value, a values-driven culture, perhaps. They'll be seeing um, me um, uh, engaging players in conversations, asking them questions and so on and so forth. Um, they'll be seeing um, sessions that uh, where, where perhaps players have created the activities within the sessions or they've been co-created with uh, myself and my coaching staff. Um, there's going to be a, a, a mixture of experiences that players are, are going to have. But I'd try to, given given the time, the resources, I'd try to lay out for parents precisely what they would be seeing and why they'd be seeing these things mm. um, to give parents the best opportunity to understand what's going on in their child's soccer and what kind of developmental processes that child is I I involved in and why uh, i think that's an important um set of uh set of um guidelines uh to to have and it's an important important discourse and communication to, to to have with the parents um so that's what i would be doing with but i know you didn't ask a, a question specifically about parents but you did mention parents so that's what i would mm -hmm. be doing with parents um but very much understanding that as a coach i'm a biopsychosocial coach i'm thinking body mind world I'm, I'm i'm thinking about the minds the worlds the bodies of the players that i've got in front of me and not just i just want to put on a soccer activity here mm. it's a little bit more um it's a bit more advanced than that obviously the challenge is so many coaches are volunteer coaches who don't necessarily have the experience or don't have the time and the resources they've got busy lives themselves um, with their families at work most of part-time so i completely understand um, if a coach says to me well dan that's all very nice but in many respects you're just speaking double dutch to me because I don't have the time and I don't have the experiences and, and that's, I, I, I understand and I empathize with that. So then it's just about saying, well, can you just put another 10 minutes a week into a bit of reading, uh, into uh, listening to a podcast, just anything um, to, to it, on the, on the, on the psychosocial side, the psychological and social sides of the game, just in order to upskill yourself over a number of weeks, months and years so that, it positively impacts on, on your coaching practice. That's what I would say to, to coaches with minimal time. And again, such great advice because like you said, you know, a podcast, I would recommend your podcast to everybody. And, and if you are traveling in a car or you are, you know, doing anything where you, you know, you might have to be doing something else at the same time. It, I, I suppose if they're upskilling their thinking, I love what you said there, they're upskilling their thinking, you then begin to bend time and reality around you to fit what you're, thinking about don't you so i might have no resource i might have no chance i might have no time but if i'm thinking about it there's a real good chance i might do something better and you are right i, I went to watch my niece play yesterday nine aside soccer there were three dogs run on the pitch and i'm i'm sitting back there thinking like there's so much i want to change but it's real life so yes brilliant advice and i hope people will take that insight as we i want to wrap this section up because there's so much to talk to you about dan but as we wrap this bit up Perhaps we can just talk to 
when this isn't happening, when the sophisticated approach isn't taken. So I'm talking players in their early 20s now. They might be in a development setting, let's say college soccer in the US, you know, professional soccer, people about to step into that world. There are plenty of examples of winning programs where this sophisticated coaching isn't happening. People aren't thinking about this. Mm. And I I worry and I'm concerned about the cost, the cost to the individual, the cost to the collective, especially in the female game. Could you perhaps wrap this up by speaking to that maybe and what is happening when we don't have this sophisticated approach? Yeah, well, I, but I think you eloquently, I think you eloquently put it in as much as there can be a cost to uh, programs that uh, tend to be, let, let's call them maybe, maybe. I, I think what you're speaking to is programs that can tend to be maybe a little bit too um, authoritarian um and there's nothing wrong with being an an authoritative coach somebody um who is demanding but not demeaning somebody who has a a thoroughly tight program with a set of principles and game models that they're teaching players fantastic um but authoritarian um with no player involvement um a, a program that isn't psychologically informed where there's uh, n- n- where coaches aren't considering the thoughts, the feelings, the personalities and the past experiences of the players at all um where potentially there is a risk of bullying, um, these kinds of experiences, absolutely they can win in the short term, maybe a culture of confrontation and conflict. I've been in some of those at the very highest level of sport. And what you tend to find um, uh, as a a bit of a broad brush statement, what you tend to find is you can uh, see a lot of success early, uh, with even even maybe a great deal of joy uh, being derived from that success, but over time uh, a, a de-energizing sense of conflict and confrontation, um, and and a lack of growth uh, from the players themselves as a player and as a, especially as a person. Um, so uh, and then of course you're dealing things with things such as burnout um uh, avoidance self-handicapping um injury um and then obviously uh, psychological uh, experiences such as low mood depression uh, uh clinical anxiety social anxiety uh, and experiences the, the the environments you're speaking about, these players are spending such a long time in them, you know, they're, they're involved in them every day. And so subsequently, the experiences they're having there um, and the subsequent emotions that they're having as a consequence of those experiences are going to spill out into their everyday life. And so, you know, if it's a maladaptive culture in a college program, that not only spills out into uh, the experience, the the the, the sense of burnout and um, stress, anxiety within the program. It's also outside of the program that influences schoolwork, that influences relationships, that then influences, you know, a potential in uh, beyond college into the workplace, um, uh, and emotional experiences beyond being at college. And and so subsequently, I suppose 
one would argue that, the, and this this does bring a great deal of burden onto a coach in terms of trying to get the program as um, adaptive, flexible, optimal as possible. Um, it's building a coaching craft that helps players in three areas, irrespective of their age in many respects. And it's the three P's I put in my coaching model that I tend to talk about with coaches and that's participation progression and performance I think every single coach on planet earth has to be invested in participation and that can be in a it's going to be an under six coach and an under eight coach because you're trying to by participation I'm talking about engagement Mm. helping players enjoy engaging in their sport even if they're taking it serious at the adult elite level engagement is important healthy a safe and healthy engagement, irrespective of their level. That could be under sixes, right the way through to the very best players in the world competing in the Champions League final or the NWSL or or whatever level we're talking about here. And then you've got the progression piece, which is the learning piece. And then you've got the performance piece, which is the competing piece. It's all relevant. And that's, that's the challenge for coaches who are coaching players who are taking it seriously 2021 20, 22 is they've got to look at their coaching practice in my opinion beyond the game beyond the x's and the o's and understand the experiences that their players are having within the environment are going to have a knock-on effect of the experiences those people have in their everyday life now over the next couple of years and beyond so it's incumbent on coaches, in my opinion, and again, it's understanding it makes coaching tough at that level, but it's understanding that, that we're going to create as healthy and as safe an environment as possible. And the last thing to say here is when I say healthy and safe, you know, healthy is still, it's it support, but it's stretch as well. You can stretch in a supportive manner, um, but you stretch in a safe manner in a supportive manner and a safe manner as well that doesn't mean everything is easy for a player it doesn't mean that we can't be demanding it doesn't mean that we don't set tough to attain goals it doesn't mean that you can't use strong words in 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 a in a strong tone and with a strong volume at times of course demanding not demeaning though safe stretched but safe and supportive i i want to reiterate that that there's nobody saying that you can't be demanding there's nobody saying you can't be you know asking for high standards and expecting people to to meet them right and and sometimes holding a bar higher than can be jumped because because it's potentially where they will go to you are absolutely correct though in terms of there is a line we've talked about this on the podcast before where it crosses over into demeaning and I think I think we've I think that's a great segment on that, and I and I'm I I love that we can talk openly and honestly about this. This is a conversation that's not happening nationally that needs to be happening. I hope you can be involved in it here in the United States. So I'm I'm certainly going to push that myself. But I I want more people to be talking about this stuff because this is where we need to go in the next decade. We we have we haven't quite talked about this enough yet, and I'm hoping it's beginning now.
as I as I switch lanes, then as I move forward, because I'm conscious of your time, Dan, as well, and there's a lot of people want to hear everything you have to say here. One more of the things that you said that really struck me, which I wanted to share with everybody in the world, was you talked. It was a final thought. You were you were putting some thoughts out there on on Twitter, the people to to think about, and you said what helps can hinder, and what hinders can help. And then you gave some context, which I thought was absolutely fantastic about what that means. And and I, I, I need to shut up and just let you explain to the world what you meant. Well, I, I, in many respects, you could say it's a comment on just about everything. It, it, it's really interesting because, I mean, I've today already mentioned the, the only briefly, but I mentioned a values-driven culture, for example. Um, and we live in a world now where many, many coaches, probably every college coach out there as an example, is tending to set values with their team at the beginning. And I think it's a great exercise to do. I don't deny it. And you think about the behaviors related to those values. And the reality is that um, any value uh, engaged with in an extreme manner uh, can hinder as well. So, uh, and I'm trying to think of a basic one here, uh, a value of uh, determination. I mean, I'm sure there's better, better values to pick. Maybe you can think of one and we can, we can unpack it. But, you know, you might think of, well, somebody's got to be really determined or, or let's say resilient. Okay. that A team comes up with resilience or resilient as a value. Now, being resilient, Absolutely. And there's all kinds of psychological literature on this research done. There's some great stuff. There's people, brilliant academics who've been on my podcast talking about it. You know, it's a term used across sport now. Really, really important. And I think it's important for athletes to um, uh, build the skills to have um, more moments of resilience when they need it. But quite often, they can, not all the time, but often there are examples of athletes who are demonstrating resilience, for example, carrying on through a tough moment, uh, maybe through uh, an injury, for example, where really they were better served actually not being so resilient in that moment and stepping away from the game for a few weeks because they've got a little bit of a knock or they're feeling a little bit burnt out. Um, and again, that's there's a there's a blurred line, isn't there? And that's where coaching and, and playing becomes a bit of a craft. And and it's and it, and you know, we want as you've said a few minutes ago, we want to set high goals, a high bar. Uh, but sometimes even as coaches and as players, we've got to be uh, flexible around that and understand what we can and can't do. So um, we do have to be, we have to understand that every word helps and every word hinders. Every action helps, every action hinders, every value helps, every uh, value can hinder. And so it's just it's just recognizing that nothing is black and white here and that we live in a world of shades of gray and i always say that to coaches is let's just have a good conversation here uh, uh about shades of gray it, it, or in a manner that is looking at this in a in a gray situation rather than just black and white um so i don't, I don't you know i don't know david can you think of a word or a value or a, a situation that um, many people would think is a helpful thing, but actually can be a hindrance as well. 
Yeah, I think I think you hit the nail on the head there. I think I think about words like relentless and stuff like that, right. you know. And you know, the, I I've been to many college programs in in the Power Five in my time, a couple of different college programs I work for, and I go to these uh, dressing rooms, locker rooms, and I see these words on the on the wall, and you know, you, you always feel like, well, is that actually the culture of the place, or is that just the, the word you put on the wall? And you know, yes, absolutely, you you can be these things in the game, but. I think what we're talking about here today is there's moments for that and there's moments to give yourself empathy. We come back to where we started, isn't it? But mm. um, if it's just words on the wall and it's there's no there's nothing behind it, and it, you could have probably equate this to a business setting or any other high performance setting. You know, if it if it, it isn't what you've got on your wall that is your culture, is it? It's it, what you're saying here is it's it's how people react under adversity and under pressure. That's what you're saying. Look, I agree with everything you're saying there. Um, I, I I think it's um, a, a, if a coach can have a flexible lens mm. of their world, of their team, of their club, of their of their people, their players, um, then I think that that is is uh, more impactful, healthier, safer than a, a one dimensional approach. Mm. And I think the socio historical context, especially around elite adult sport and developing mm. elite sport can tend to be a little bit one-dimensional um and um i think again i'm going to use this word sophisticated um i speak a lot to my contemporaries at the english institute of sport who work heavily within olympic teams and what i know now maybe because of various landscapes around if we think of both us and british gymnastics Mm. Um, there's been some controversy over the years with British cycling. Mm. Um, and I, what, where great coaches, sports psychologists, sports scientists, and so on and so forth are, and medical departments within sport are potentially striving to take their narrative is much more around having more of an individual lens to high performance so rather than too many blanket statements, and it's not to suggest that you can't have some blanket statements, but too many blanket statements to speak to your point about what's printed up on the walls. Mm. Um, rather than too many blanket statements, it's understanding that maybe what we need to do as best as we possibly can is treat people as individuals. And what might be right for one individual isn't necessarily right for another individual. Now, there has to be some baselines. Uh, you know, players can't just get away with anything if they are mm. in an elite program. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that we need to be as 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 dynamic, as flex, flexible, as sophisticated as possible as we possibly can be. You know, and it is keeping a keen eye on the 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 welfare well-being health of players every day as we help them explore what high performance looks like for them and their road to high performance and it might be you know taking somebody and again as i say i have good conversations with with people who are invested in the highest of high performance at the olympic level so not necessarily soccer here but the olympic mm -hmm. level 
where uh, you know superhuman fates are are, are established uh, every four years. And, you know, there's some interesting stuff going on there where it's not all this has got to be 24-7 and, you know, we're training eight hours a day and absolutely everything is sacrificed. And mm. they're trying to help athletes explore how to get the optimal balance point, essentially, between, um, you know, effort and relaxation, if you like, Um and, and and I think a case in point here, and I, I I'm not an expert on this, and maybe you are a bit more than me. But when I was at the United Soccer Coaches Convention last year, I was talking to a couple of people who work heavily within the college uh, sport, and they were talking about mental health days that happen mm. now, and that that at face values that. that you know, uh, it, it, when you think about it, you think, "Oh, th- that's that's great, yeah, mental health days." But my immediate response to that, and I'm I'm happy to be corrected here, but my immediate response was that to ch- was to check and challenge it in terms of, well, why isn't every day a mental health day? Why isn't every day a well-being day? Why isn't every day a welfare day? Because every day is a performance day. They're all inextricably linked. Inextricably linked. So I, I you know, I, I, I think sophisticated programs are programs where every single day we're trying to, as coaches, deliver the optimal performance, welfare, well-being, mental health, psychosocial plan to help the individuals in our program be the best that they can be individually and as teammates and subsequently it's recognizing that we can't just have this blanket program um sometimes we've got to look at our individuals and go how do we best help this individual um um in this moment Given that the experiences they're having, do we pull them out a little bit? Do we do we put a bit more pressure on them? You know, can that person take more burden of leadership? Can that person be a better teammate? How do we help that? You know, how do we turn up the volume of pressure here? How do we turn down the volume of pressure? What have we got to do with this individual in front of us? Maybe it's about being more individual than it is engaging in blanket statements across our culture. It's just these are just thought experiments. You know, I'm sure a very articulate coach would point out some of the challenges of what I'm saying, because there are challenges to what I'm saying. But it's just we've got we've got to um, have more sophisticated conversations here. Hopefully that is what we are beginning to do, what we are doing today and what people will do as a result of hearing you speak here and looking at your work and obviously the, the, the immense content you put out on social media, Dan, which I referenced before. It, it is about having a conversation about this stuff first. And as we wrap up here, I want, I want to kind of talk to the aspiring coaches out there, people working within the game. I love your point you've made about the balance point. I think that's absolutely fantastic in terms of not just the balance of how you push and pull and achieve potential, but also the balance in terms of how practitioners go about their work. I think you're quite right. We used to think 60, 70, 80 hour weeks, you know, if you're not doing that, you're not, you're not doing anything. I think the pandemic's changed that and, and life has changed. And and for the better, when I hear Jamie Carragher come out and say he wishes he'd been a little less hard on himself and his family during his playing career, I want that for him. I want that for the next Jamie Carragher and everybody else who might be out there doing that as well. As we wrap up here, Dan, could 
you know, the young Dan Abrahams out there, the young David Goff, who would have driven 100 miles to listen to anybody speak back in the day, they're listening now, and we've managed to put this right in their lap. What What's your message to them? What can they be working on? What can they be doing, even though they aren't where they want to be in their career yet? What can they be investing their time in so they're out there giving more messages like we're talking about here than anything else? What can they be doing with the early parts of their career? You know, I think a, a coach in the early part of their career um, obviously is going to be spending um, a great deal of time um, coaching. I think that, I know that sounds obvious, but get out there, coach. Mm. Um, don't be shy about potentially coaching multi-sports. Um, I think uh, take every opportunity you possibly can to to read, to listen to podcasts, to learn. And as you're doing that, think critically about the content. What's relevant to, 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 to you right now in your context? Um, start building some frameworks for you rather than just accepting everything. I mean, I, I try to, when I stand up and I, I deliver, um, I, I, the, one of the first things I tend to say, I probably don't say it every time, but I tend to say is, because I'm I'm quite an energetic presenter when I, for instance, when I come over to the States and I present at United Soccer Coaches, which I'll be doing in uh, January, early next year um, in California. And I tend to leap a, around the stage and because and, I want to make it fun and interesting and, and engaging. And uh, But I, I also accept that, you know, that, can come across quite salesy that can come come across as saying to coaches well what i've got to say is the truth and i'm and i say at the beginning look you know i i love this i'm passionate about this i'm going to come across like this but in your own minds think about what's relevant for you what you it's not so much what you agree and disagree with but what's relevant for you what's not relevant for you what's relevant for you in your context what you can include into your frameworks so I, I, I think it's message number one is, look, nobody's saying don't work hard. Nobody, that's, that's important in life, right? Okay, so yeah, do a lot of coaching. Think about the game a lot. Be, I've, uh, I love the term cognitive apprentice, a cognitive apprentice, which is Professor Dave Collins to attribute that to him. And his great work, and he talks about coaches going through a cognitive apprenticeship where you are working hard, you're thinking a lot, you're coaching a lot, you're reading a lot, you're listening a lot, you're having a lot of conversations. And a cognitive apprentice apprenticeship also includes thinking critically. Okay. And what's, what, what discarding anything in terms of, oh, well, that's a load of rubbish, but just understanding that not everything is relevant for you now. I would add to that a third thing. So think about this work hard, have a cognitive apprenticeship. I think the next thing would be still give yourself time. Obviously, uh, I, I think, as you said, historically coaching has tend to be all consuming and all encompassing for some coaches so i think a third thing to say is to build into your hard work to build into your cognitive apprenticeship uh, some self-awareness around 
when you need some time away from the game. You know, if you're an ambitious coach, um, look to schedule in periods away because it doesn't take long before you start to experience um, a little bit of burnout. So try to schedule in time away and recognize. I think it's important to recognize, yes, work hard. Yes, do a lot. But also reckon it's the quality of what you're doing that's important as well. Um, and a final thing to say, and that is to build your frameworks, to build your frameworks, to know uh, your frameworks, your way of doing it, your your lens of the world. That's not to discard everything, but don't just include everything. You know, what are your game models? Um, how are you going to go around the psychosocial sides of the game? You know, how are you going to go about things? What what's your approach? Uh, what's your 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 theory of performance excellence essentially? And then I think it leads me on to point number five. Try and not lose track here. Uh, point number five would be come back to psychosocial. Recognize that psychosocial is always happening and that you know you're on the grass you're not a sports psychologist per se but you do psychology within your role every single second out there so can you have a part of your frameworks um linked in with psychosocial how are you developing leaders how are you developing teamwork how are you establishing relationships with your players how are you helping your players regulate their behaviors? How are you helping them manage the emotional side of the game? How are you delivering on a safe and healthy environment? How are you establishing a, a, a mastery orientation, a, a correct motivational climate, if you like? How are you helping your players compete? How are you helping them develop mental skills, prepare psychosocially for a game? Um, how are you uh, developing your own self-skills, the self-awareness, self-control, self reflection and self-development part of your coaching see there's a lot there in psychosocial so what does that look like to you personally so to recap number one absolutely work hard read widely listen widely have lots of comp conversation do a lot of thinking within your thinking point two is be a cognitive apprentice you know really critically analyze uh, what you're thinking about, what's relevant for you right now. Um, number three, uh, scheduling um, um, time off, time away from the game. Uh, point number four, build your frameworks, your coaching frameworks, your way of doing things and constantly update those. And when, and point number five is adding the psychosocial sides of the game. Be a psychosocial student as best as you possibly can within the time and the resources that you've got. That would be a five point pronged approach to developing yourself as a coach. Dan, you have so many wonderful resources on this. I know you have the Dan Abraham Soccer Academy. Can you tell us where to find all that stuff and yeah. what young you know coaches can go and do to 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 get into this a bit more? Thank you so much. Um, so look, my base is danabrahams.com, danabrahams.com. You can find everything on there. You can find my, you can get in contact with me. So there's a form on there to get in contact. If you're looking to do one-to-one -one work, I work with players of, of, of all ages. I work with parents. I work with coaches. Um, I, um, it, on there, you can find my books. On there, you can find my online academy. 
which supports, I think it regularly supports around about 25 college programs from division one to division three. Again, when you've been a college coach, you've been involved in that. Yep. Uh, we've supported high schools. We've supported clubs. We, we currently have a club at the moment. We support their whole ECNL team, uh, yeah. team if you like, or group of about 250 players. Um, so we can we can support a lot of players and and it's really about helping coaches, players, and parents work together on the mental side of the game. If you're interested in my podcast, it's the Sports Psych Show. Simply Google that. Um, you can find me on um, uh, social media platforms. I currently write a little. Um, um, LinkedIn and Facebook article every day. I know you've utilized those within your Certainly club are. at Jacksonville, haven't you? Yeah. Um, so you can find me LinkedIn, Dan Abrahams. You can find me on Facebook at Dan Abrahams Soccer. You can find me on Instagram at Dan Abrahams Sport. I have three Twitter accounts, the main one being at Dan Abrahams 77. And that's largely for coaches. because I go into a bit more detail with advice there. Um, uh, at Abraham's Soccer is another one, and that's purely for players, although lots of coaches are on there. Simple ideas every day for players. And if you're a golfer, at Abraham's Golf is another one there. Oh, and there's at the Sports Psych, at Sports Psych Show as well. Um, so does that make four? Have I got four Twitter handles? I think it might be four. I think it's four. There you go. I can't even remember how many I've got. So there's multiple ways to find me, uh, and I appreciate your time today. Oh, Dan, I can't thank you enough. I, I think back to my early days, you know, being a young coach and aspiring to go and do some of the things I later went on and did in my career. And I look back now and I talk to everybody, my advice to everybody is that you, it changes as you go. There's lessons can only be learned as you go. You don't want to rush to know everything at, you know, 18, 19, 20 years of age, whenever you might start. And I think that's a process as you engage with it, it makes you stronger and better and you have to make your mistakes. We've had guests on in the past who talk you know, openly and authentically about the mistakes they made and the journey they went on. And, and hopefully everybody, regardless of your age, hopefully everybody is going through that journey. But you do need staples. You do need mentors. You do need people in your life who can help you and hopefully people are out there finding those people. And Dan, as I said, I can recommend Dan's work personally. And, and I think, you know, just following and, and being involved with, with Dan Abrahams and the stuff he's doing is is a massive, great investment of your time. So huge thank you, Dan. This You are, you, you know, you're a, you're, a, you're, a, you're an expert doing it every single day. And you're not just that, you're also sharing and trying to leave it better than what you found it as well. And that is what the Pro Player Podcast was set up for. And this is a very special episode for us. So again, thank you for, for being here with us today. Thanks so much.